Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on this uh, Monday edition on 101.3 KPCG. Coming up on uh, today's program, we're going to take a look at a couple of interesting headlines, including one that uh, caught my attention because science is uh, finally proving something that the Bible has talked about for a long time. It's always interesting when those stories come up. So we'll take a look at those details. Also, what's going on at the Trumpet.com, Trumpet Daily Radio Show. Interesting note from this day in history. And also, we're going to take a look at a really great reprint article about the authority of the Bible coming up on Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on uh, 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm. Live link at thetrumpet.com as well. Dwight Falk with you here today. Grant Turgeon also. Grant had a he had a weekend uh, excursion to uh, Kansas City, and uh, you watched your uh, beloved Buffalo Bills win against the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, if you're going to make that trip, it's uh, it's nice that your team gets the uh, W. Yeah, we were sitting up there in the top corner of the stadium. Just a perfect view, and the atmosphere was great. Obviously, some crazy people around us uh, sometimes, but it was really a really, really good game. A defensive battle. I got to buy some Chiefs gear and blend in, so I, I didn't get threatened. <laughs> well, that's, uh, yeah, you always, I guess you want to blend in. I'm, I am always sort of amazed that uh, sometimes people are a little raucous in the opposing team's mm-hmm. stadium. and. That can always uh, be a little bit of a difficulty. So, yeah, uh, you have yeah. To blend in. My my dad was going to be upset if I actually if I actually wore the Chiefs gear during the game. So, I just bought gifts for my wife and daughter, and then I kept them in the bag the whole time. But he did get threatened because he was wearing his Bill stuff. And see, <laughs> see, that's why I never wear the road team's gear at a game. People take their uh, the sports very seriously, <laughs> whether yeah. it's football or you know other countries. Um, you know, it could be other sports, soccer, of course. I think the the soccer hooligans are sort of an infamous brand of individual. So, <laughs> I like I like sports, but not to the point of uh, physical altercations. Yeah, that's that's what I've always been worried about. I haven't been to a football game since two thousand six, but even that one, uh, as you're all walking out of the stadium together, people are pretty rowdy. Whether they won or their team won or lost, I mean it's a little bit crazy and you also hear stories of people getting beaten into a coma or beaten to death in the parking lot after a game so why put the gear on that's going to make you a target gotta wear the helmet yeah (laughs) just be on the safe side was it uh pretty full i mean we've heard about attendance dropping at those things was it a full stadium there were quite a few pockets of open seats Uh. so i i don't know if it's just because their team is sliding right now or if there are some other issues at play there there was a they put the uh I gotta get this straight. The Los Angeles Rams, because <laughs> mm-hmm. they keep moving around. The on television yesterday, they play they play well. They're playing well, but the, that stadium's notoriously empty, and it was yesterday too. So now, nah, part of it's they're a new sort of new team. They've been in L.A., then they moved, then they came back. 
Uh, and it is Southern California, so on a Sunday, you know, I don't know that I'd want to be sitting there. There's a lot of other things to do. But uh, nevertheless, it's not a good look for the league. So I was just curious about your firsthand observation because uh, – you know, they say the the attendance and the viewership is you know sliding. Yeah, it did seem like the people who were there were really fired up, and obviously a lot of people were there early to tailgate, and they set up their, their entire tents. It was pretty incredible, but there just weren't enough people to fill the entire stadium. It just seemed like maybe there's a few reasons why people are not as interested now. You mentioned the Rams; like it's pretty rough for them because. Like you said, half their stadium is empty. It's even worse for the Chargers because they moved to L.A. a year after the Rams did. So most of the people there are already Rams fans. And then the Chargers literally are just playing 16 road games every single year. Every time they have a home game, the away fans are making way more noise than the home fans are. Yeah, and a, a team like Kansas City or, or for us here in Oklahoma City, the Thunder, you know, there's not a lot of other things going on you know southern california's got multiple teams right kansas city's got a few teams but uh you know so they're going to get the main attention and if they can't fill up then that's uh, probably a concern for those franchises so interesting uh today of course is uh, monday it is cyber monday in case you didn't know <laughs> in case your email <laughs> inbox didn't remind you and of course that's a day when uh, apparently they try to give people good deals online i guess it depends on what you're looking for and uh, they hope to make a lot of money doing that. And, of course, Amazon takes a big, big chunk of that uh, that money. And, of course, so today headline, the headline on, on the Drudge Report was uh, Amazon Warehouse of Hell. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they chronicle, uh, apparently, like some of the conditions. I think it's in a U.K. Uh, fulfillment center for Amazon. And I, I kind of read through it a little bit. I found it interesting because... Uh, for a few months, I worked at a fulfillment center when I was in college, pretty big one, a lot of, a lot of orders. And, uh, what they described was very similar to what I worked in. And I, I don't think anybody loves a job like that, but at the same time, I think they were making maybe, maybe a little more out of it than they needed to. I mean, they work, they do work a long day and they get, you know, two breaks and so forth. And, and it's probably not ideal, but at the same time. That is kind of the real world of working sometimes. So I don't quite think it's as bad as they said based upon my own experience. But interesting, look, when you buy packages, somebody's got to, you know, package them up and send them to you. <laughs> and those people aren't as happy on that side of it as you are when you get it, apparently. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like they're trying to equate that to child labor in the coal mines a couple centuries ago. It's, it's kind of crazy how we get outraged whenever there's actually a, a hard job. People People choose to have hard jobs, especially... If you're working long hours, you get paid a lot. That's just some some of the options you have to weigh when you're getting a job. Uh, nothing wrong with that. I do always wonder, though, with a place like Amazon, how is it that you fulfill orders when your orders consist of everything? Like, literally, you could buy anything on Amazon, and yet somehow a fulfillment center is going to have all those items. They have to have quite a network working there. Uh, the complaints of the staff were that they walk at least 10 miles a day in a bid to fulfill all the customer orders. Which, that's a lot, uh, but they do recommend you walk 10,000 steps per day if you want to be healthy, which is about five miles. Mm. So they're even healthier. That's a health benefit. Uh, but it is, it is interesting to uh, to look at the fact that that is a, a complaint. I suppose it could be uh, workers complain about short breaks. They have shifts that run from 7.30 a.m. to 6 p.m., and they get two half-hour breaks, apparently, so an hour total. And according to uh, the investigation, workers are given... Uh, well, I mentioned that. That's two half-hour breaks. So um, I don't know. I don't think it's probably as bad as they're making it out to be. That That is a hard day's work, and, and uh, maybe we're just not as used to that as much. 
but I know what the fulfillment center I worked at. Um, yeah, it was basically the same. You could get as many hours as you wanted, and there were perks and benefits for doing that. <clears throat> but you had to work. It was a hard day's work, and uh, sometimes that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I didn't understand initially that the workers were making this complaint. That's even worse because you could just get another job. If you hate your job so much, well, instead of making a complaint about it, why not just work elsewhere? That's not really that bad, working 7.30 to 6. That's slightly longer than an average work day anyway, and you have those two half-hour breaks where you can get off your feet if, you're, if you are walking a lot. Well, they said, uh, they said too, that... Uh, um well, somebody commented and they said, well, they had worked at one of these centers and they didn't like it and so forth and they, they quit. And then somebody responded to them and said, well, that be glad you're in a country, in this case the UK, where you can. <laughs> if you don't like it, you can leave. And so anyway, it's just interesting to see sort of the, uh, the people being upset by it. Granted, it is a hard job and I, I've done it, uh, not at Amazon, but other places. So I understand that. But you know, does is it worthy of an investigation? Is it that big of a deal? Uh, maybe it speaks to just that we've become quite soft as a as a people to where a hard day's work is a uh, seems like a burden instead of the norm. It really doesn't sound like there are any human rights violations taking place here. It's just people uh, not wanting to work hard. I mean. I don't know what they would expect if they did move to a different job. Would they expect it to be perfect all of a sudden because they're not working at an Amazon fulfillment center? I think everyone has complaints with their jobs except for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting, too, because one of the best parts of, say, working at a place like that, and I did it uh, for a while when I was in college, was that I didn't love it. And I thought, you know, I I, I, I want to do something different than this. Not that I went into it thinking it would be a career, but it was... A good job for a college kid, and you can you could get a lot of hours and make some money, but but it does teach you work ethic. It teaches you to be on time. It teaches you to do things you don't like to do, even though you know because you need to do them. And then uh, it also shows you that uh, I I want to put more effort into finding another path because I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So you can learn a lot of valuable lessons at places like that. You did hit on a really solid point there. Uh, we have seen a trend now where uh, the, there's a an argument that people working at McDonald's should make $15 an hour. There are some jobs that aren't meant to be super pleasant. They're not meant to be super high paying because we should be trying to climb the ladder and not be supporting a family and getting a mortgage off a McDonald's job or a fulfillment center job or whatever it is. We should be trying to maybe start out in that type of a, a career, learn some good lessons from it, and then move up the ladder. That's that's kind of the whole point of the American dream or over there in the UK as well, there are possibilities for uh, improving your work situation and, and not just staying in one place and demanding that the employers treat you better there. Uh, and at, even at the uh, fulfillment place that I worked at, um, if you did like it, and some people did, it was kind of just something they enjoyed. Uh, people usually moved up into some sort of management or super supervisor role. So you, you'd almost have to, at least from my experience, you'd almost have to make an effort to not move up yeah. and just, just be like a very poor employee yeah. to, to not not move up. Uh, they were also complaining in the article about the conditions of the restrooms, and they had a picture of, of one of them. And as somebody pointed out, well, that's because the employees don't treat it right. That's it's true. not like Amazon <laughs> went in there and trashed the bathroom. It's the employees. <laughs> so uh, just an interesting story, of course, hot topic on a Cyber Monday, but... A lot of other commenters just said, I don't care, just send me my package. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they weren't very um, 
uh, didn't have a lot of empathy for those individuals, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it is it is sad to see this uh, trend. Like I like I said, it, the idea is that oh well, you should be glad that I even went and got a job. So now treat me really well at whatever this job is. No, move up the ladder. Let some teenagers take your place. That's that's those are great jobs for young people to have. They they get humbled in a place like that. They learn work ethic. They learn accountability. And then everyone should be trying to move up. There should never be a shortage of employees for a place like this. And and primarily, they should be young people. Yeah, young people can walk those miles and they can do those things and uh, and then hopefully learn some good work experience. So anyway, interesting uh, take there on uh, the Fulfillment Center. Uh, I guess they'll all be replaced with robots eventually. So <laughs> the robots don't complain. Here's an interesting story that uh, proves something that the uh, Bible's talked about for a long time. This is from the Daily Mail. Angry people die sooner. Just one of ten reasons why you should try to keep your cool, according to scientists. So uh, there's a few passages we'll mention at the end that talk about not being angry, not being quick to anger, uh, (laughs) so forth. And uh, here they come to find out that if you're angry, often you're going to uh, not have as good of a life and you're going to die sooner. They say angry people uh, do die sooner. Researchers from Iowa State University found that angry men aged 20 to 40 were one and a half times more likely to be dead 35 years later than those who were calmer. That's written sort of oddly, but I guess (laughs) they were going to die within that time span uh, and others would live longer. Scientists believe this is due to a number of factors linking stress to physiological damage. The frequent release of adrenaline during periods of stress damages DNA, which could lead to life-threatening illnesses such as multiple sclerosis. So if you're angry often, um, it can do some damage to your body. Yeah, and we have talked about that before as well, just how people's mental state affects their health in a huge way. I mean, that might even be the biggest... Uh, factor determining whether our health is good or bad. If we're positive in our thinking, then a lot of the time that trickles down to the entire rest of the body. Right. Yeah. The They say also, grumps don't sleep well. <laughs> <laughs> Feelings of anger produce a heightened response in the, well, some part of your body that I can't pronounce, uh, the part of the brain associated with survival instincts. Angry emotions prompt uh, a signal to a heightened state of anxiety that goes through the brain and the rest of the body, increasing blood flow to the limbs and heart, which makes relaxation almost impossible. Those exposed to anger-induced stimuli without discussing how it made them feel are more likely to experience insomnia than those who engage in an emotional debrief. I don't know about that. (laughs) They want you to get it out, I guess. How about just not being angry? Uh, But anyway, they say... uh, people that are having anger issues and even if they don't maybe express them but they're internally angry have difficulty sleeping and that leads to all kinds of health problems as well it's really interesting to look at just different i guess mindsets or different activities and their effect on the body because that talks about how it increases blood flow being angry does and yet that's very different from say exercising which also increases blood flow but if you do it at the right time of the day it actually is good for letting you go to sleep but anger, it's kind of like it it gets you it gets you amped up, and it's kind of the opposite effect. Yeah, it kicks people into the uh, fight or flight mode, or as they miswrote it here, the flight or flight mode. <laughs> so I guess you have no choice; you're gonna f- run away. Maybe we should <laughs> maybe we should all do that. There would never be another fight again. <laughs> flight or flight, everyone's <laughs> running from each other in anger. They say anger causes headaches. Emotions such as excitement or anger result in the release of stress hormones, cortisol, 
adrenaline and testosterone, which put the body into the fight or flight mode. The chemical surge increases blood flow to the brain and triggers the swelling of both blood vessels and nerves surrounding the brain. The pressure can result in tension and headaches. A study of 422 healthy adults found that chronic headache sufferers scored significantly higher on a uh, trait anger scale. So if you have a lot of headaches, that might be something to consider. Yeah, definitely. And and I, I think we've always just been wondering about how stress affects us. And we've talked about it a lot on here. And everyone probably needs to consider what effect stress is having on their lives because we do live in a pretty stress-filled world. On the one hand, we have conveniences at our fingertips at all times. But at the on the other hand, maybe our lives get so cluttered because of those conveniences that we have a lot more stress and a lot more anger. Maybe our personal relationships aren't working out as well as they should. And that can lead to a lot of health uh, deficits. I, I was just even thinking about a lot of people's commutes. Mm. I mean, if you want to really test the temperament of any individual, put them in a long commute <laughs> Uh, or, or it could be a short one too, but uh, very crowded where there's a lot of traffic and a lot of things. And, uh, that's hard. It's hard to keep your cool when, uh, you know, you feel like, uh, you're, you're getting cut off or, or, you know, whether it's intentional or just poor driving or just because there's so many people you get in each other's way. Uh, it's very difficult to remain, um, calm and stress-free in those environments. So, you know, if, if people can, Getting yourself into a, a situations or a lifestyle where you're not running up against things that irritate you constantly uh, would probably go a long way in helping just reduce some of these problems. Yeah, and I suppose there are some ways to maybe combat uh, different stressors that you would experience on a commute, playing certain type of music or thinking about certain things, trying to keep yourself occupied in a positive way so that you're not enraged when someone cuts you off and almost runs you off the road yesterday on the highway that happened right in front of us there was this car that turned left came flying into the far right lane on the highway and this guy literally almost drove down to the ditch to avoid getting hit and it was just extremely reckless driving and probably the person who almost got hit was pretty angry for a long time so maybe some things like that you can't avoid but other other things uh, you can get your mind on different things and, and, and avoid getting too pent up about it. It's a good time to advertise our podcasts. You can listen to uh, the programming here on KPCG <laughs> when you're driving. Keep yourself keep yourself cool and calm, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, a couple other things that uh, anger can do. Uh, this is interesting. It can trigger lung disease. Uh, it makes people anxious and depressed. Uh, people will get sick more often in a lot of cases. Risk of heart disease increases. I think that's probably the one most of us would think of right away in relation to anger. It makes it hard for your body to digest food because the blood flows go into the limbs instead of the the digestion, I guess. And it makes people wrinkly. (laughs) (laughs) So does old age in the sun, but also anger, apparently. (laughs) And so those are some of the things that happen that scientists are discovering. If you're an angry individual, you struggle with that. Um, It has major health problems there. And so, again, that's something the Bible talks about. Psalm 37, 8 says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Proverbs fifteen eighteen says, a wrathful man stirs up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeases strife, which is a good point too, because if you're somebody that struggles with being angry, you probably are going to stir up a lot of anger, but if you're in the habit of not being that way, it, it will cause more peace. So we can cause a lot of that to anger to either happen in our lives or to not happen. Yeah, and, and uh, it is strange how... Uh, today it's almost like having a temper is a thing that is 
bragged about. Even Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong wrote about that in his autobiography, how he came across a worker who would just absolutely fly off and start screaming at people anytime something didn't go exactly his way. And he kind of like cultivated this temper and this anger issue that he had. Uh, That definitely is not going to benefit our health we're not going to grow in character from that either just just not having that emotional control so it is, it is good to see studies like this and then even have the scriptural backup to show us that anger is a very bad thing and nothing to be proud of yeah two other passages just to note proverbs sixteen thirty two: he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he that rules his spirit better than he that takes a city I think there's sort of this thought that if a person becomes angry that sort of gives him a certain power you know, like, ooh, don't don't make that guy angry. Yeah. But here Proverbs says, look, actually, if you're slow to anger, you're you're mightier. You're stronger than that. Mm-hmm. And then Ecclesiastes seven nine says, Be not hasty in your in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Which is interesting too. Just consider that, uh, because if you think about having something resting in your bosom, uh, if it's not a good thing, it was going to cause health problems because you've got a lot of vital <laughs> organs in the True. bosom. So that there could be probably a couple of meanings there. Yeah, I really, I really like that way of looking at that scripture, and it just shows how close to us anger can be, especially if we're making decisions based on anger. Definitely, there are some evils out there that are worth getting angry about and and not just tolerating them. Uh, but when it comes to making decisions, if those are led by anger, if our emotions are dominated by anger, then you you see how destructive that can be. Yeah, that's a really good point that you bring out because sometimes maybe the the extreme on the other side, when somebody doesn't want to be angry, they would just want, everything's okay. I'm <laughs> never upset by anything. And that's not, that's not the case either. I mean, if you just do a word search in the Bible on, say, wrath or anger, in most cases, talking about God mm-hmm. <laughs> because he has righteous indignation at times, though he's slow to wrath, but because of, you know, people's actions. And so there is a time to have righteous anger and righteous, you know, indignation over something and to take a stand for something. So we're not talking about just being this sort of, uh, uh, you know, very passive and meek and nothing ever bothers me type of individual. But there is a difference between going around in a constant, you know, state of anger and then righteous indignation. And it it takes wisdom to know the difference. Right. And even when we do see... uh, evils that are worth getting upset about Uh, a lot of time what i get mad at is those if they show a video on the news of someone getting like assaulted knocked to the ground and robbed or something like that it's all it's almost like you 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 want to just charge at your tv and take it out it makes you so angry but to then be angry for the next five or six hours because you saw that is also extremely unhealthy so it's important to control the amount of it the uh the extent of it and not just let it dominate your thoughts the rest of the day. Yeah, for sure. Because the, the fight or flight uh, response is a natural response. And God obviously created it within man for emergency type situations. You know, if you were in a battle, you're probably not going to be real passive you're, or, you know, just relaxed. You're probably going to be pretty amped up, but you can't go through life, you know, being that that high strung all the time or else obviously you just you just burn yourself out i mean you, mm-hmm. there's examples of that where you can burn out your adrenals you know because you're just too hyped all the time or you're you're pushing through too many times uh when you need rest and things like that so uh there are times when we do need that adrenaline we do need that that uh, uh extra energy and and motivation and so forth but uh to operate that way all the time it's just not sustainable exactly that's and that's where uh 
we need to look at that if 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 we have anger in our lives to the extreme where we, where it's constantly driving our thoughts and our actions that's where it does get really unhealthy and and obviously it's worth looking deeper into and, and finding the cause of something like that obviously there's something missing if we feel that way yeah really interesting study there about how anger can lead to an early death backs up uh what the bible's been saying for a long time uh the trumpet.com today make sure you stop and check this out the new strongman age uh this is by stephen flurry host of the uh, trumpet daily radio show it's a dramatic shift in world affairs and it won't end well you, you can see that here in the United States. I guess you could call President Trump a strong man in some ways. Uh, there's some leaders popping up in Europe that are strong men. Obviously, Vladimir Putin in Russia, uh, Xi Jinping in China, um, uh, obviously in Iran. They've got their strong man that's been ruling for a long time, uh, the Ayatollah. And then, uh, you know, you can look at other areas, too. And so you see a lot of strongmen rising. And, that, and Germany, of course, is sort of in flux. They've got a, a very, uh, well... She's called the, the grandmother, right? <laughs> Miss Merkel there. So they're still waiting for their strong man, which the Bible says will come on the scene. But uh, if you look at a lot of nations uh, that are really moving and shaking on the world scene right now, uh, they have strong men at the top. Yeah, this is another topic where uh, we just need a little bit more balance because obviously most people want to have a strong leader at the head of their countries. But uh, the issue is... Is that leader on the verge of starting World War Three? You know, Iran's leader could be, Germany's could be, and so uh, that's that's where it gets dangerous. It, just being a brute masculine force does not always uh, it does not always end well for a nation. It usually leads to conflict if you don't have that uh, more tender side as well. Yeah, if they're not looking to some sort of a biblical foundation, which they're not, <laughs> then then what you have obviously is a conflict of interest. And when you have several strong men, uh, what do you do? You have a strong man contest. <laughs> Try to see who's going to dominate the world. And you see who's going to be the dominant one. And, of course, uh, strong men don't uh, typically operate with uh, talking. There's a lot of, uh, oh, just let's see who the stronger one is. So that's what is happening on the world scene. And, of course, it's uh, the tensions are rising. It hasn't broken out totally yet that way in terms of, you know, war, but uh, you can see the seeds are being planted. Yeah, and it's it's pretty alarming to see that, but of course it does fall right in line with Bible prophecy. It shows you exactly which leaders are going to come out on top in the, in those specific battles. Also, listen for the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today with uh, your host, Stephen Flurry. One of the things he talks about is something that uh, pro- it's not getting a lot of media attention. There's going to be a video on the Trumpet.com about it. Uh, Obama-era Russia Uranium One deal if you've uh, maybe heard a little about this. Multiple congressional committees have called for an investigation into the Obama-era deal that resulted in a Russian company purchasing American uranium mines. Republicans have largely decried the deal, especially as some investors reportedly donated millions of dollars to the Clinton Foundation. Former President Bill Clinton also received $500,000 speaking fee in Russia and reportedly met with Vladimir Putin around the time of the deal. The FBI has looked into the agreement and uncovered that some Russian nuclear industry uh, industry officials were engaged in nefarious dealings, which included extortion, bribery, and kickbacks. And uh, then there, of course, is the whole issue of uh, Russia having uh, a lot of access to uranium, <laughs> which obviously could be used for nuclear ambitions. So uh, this is something that President Trump has been tweeting about and said, hey, if you want to talk about the Russian collusion scandal, take a look at this. Uh, major media has not really jumped on board, but it is an important story. 
Yeah, one of my friends was talking with me about this recently, and he was angry because uh, I believe it was reporters from The Hill who worked a long time to try to expose this issue, and yet it does seem like most of the media, as usual, is glossing over it because it happens to be from Democrats, especially from the Clinton ruling family, which has dominated American politics for a couple of decades at least. Uh, People just have not been exposed to this type of information like they should be. This is a huge scandal, uh, and it just once again shows how hypocritical the radical left is. They always seem to accuse their opponents of exactly what they're doing. Russian collusion, they've been digging for that from Mr. Trump for a year at least, and yet they, <laughs> they're not willing to acknowledge that they have colluded with the Russians more than anybody. Yeah, and I think that's probably why President Trump is sort of in a position of power on this whole deal because the more they dig and they want to look for collusion, the more they're going to find that the Democrats are very much involved, Mm -hmm. maybe more than anybody. There might be problems on both sides, but very much involved. And so that's the kind of that edge that the, the Democrats are on where it's, they want to, they want to go after the Trump administration. They think the Russia thing might be something they can use, but they have to know full well that they're going to expose themselves potentially. So that's that's what's playing out here. And meanwhile, Russia just goes on and does what it wants to do and takes advantage of us while we try to uh, squabble here in this country. And then the media tries to cover up what's really happening while they try to expose something they hope is happening. It's a really deceptive way of trying to work. Think of the priorities, too. The media is looking at possible collusion to help President Trump win the election. They care more about who won the presidential election than they do about possibly uh, a nuclear war. I mean, a uranium is what builds bombs, and we are selling that to the Russians, which uh, last I checked and last everyone has checked, they're not our friends. We are selling them our uranium. That's a gigantic scandal. It could be the biggest scandal in American history, uh, regardless of what people try to say about Watergate. It's way bigger than Watergate. It's more nation-threatening than President Trump winning the election, for sure. And who who would be surprised if that uranium ended up in in uh, in uh, Iran, right? You know, yep. it it uh, who who knows where that's going. So anyway, really interesting show today. Make sure you listen for that. Uh, it's kind of interesting too, related to just sort of the the uh, the way the media is f- favors obviously the liberals. Uh, you know, there's the whole sex assault scandals that have come out, and then uh, Al Franken got in trouble. And he apologized. I feel real bad about it. Then he just went back to work. <laughs> so uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that because in some cases, you know, the media said, no, you must. And, and other people said, you must step down immediately. We sever all ties with you. But then some people just keep working. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what people do because, again, when you cast a net out like that saying, hey, we're going to catch everybody that's done something wrong as far as these sexual assaults and so forth. And we demand you step down. Well, that net ends up catching some of your friends, too, sometimes. And then what do you do? And I think that's kind of where they are right now. Yeah, and again, it's it's all hypocrisy because while we try to show indignation against all these people who are being caught for being sexual predators in some way, or at least allegedly so, we don't show the same outrage toward pornography. For example, Al Franken was a writer for the Playboy magazine for a long time. Uh, I think he even wrote an article called like Pornocopia or something. So that's that's pretty that's pretty condemning of him. Yet we glorify that type of lifestyle or that type of behavior in life, and we don't realize that. Uh, looking at those things, lusting after those things can lead to actual physical sexual assault.
Yeah, it's very. You're right. It's a great point. I mean, it wasn't too long ago where uh, Hugh Hefner died, and uh, they had a bunch of big tributes to him and all all that he did supposedly, and uh, uh, and people talked about him like he empowered women in some way. Mm-hmm. But then other people will say, "Well, no, you're you're demeaning them." Well, it's uh, it's something to, something to consider. There, there's a lot of hypocrisy, like you say. Yeah, and obviously it does tear down manhood, and it does put women in actual physical danger. We don't seem to understand the connection there. Uh, someone like Ted Bundy, he he got he got hooked on pornography, and then he got to the extreme of chasing women down and abusing them as well. That's where it goes if you are fulfilling every kind of lust. The lust only gets more and more extreme. And that's that's how you get to the point of so many men in Hollywood and in politics now being exposed for these things. Yeah, yeah it doesn't uh, just come out of nowhere. There's usually a, a whole cause for it. Uh, you're listening to Trumpet Radio Live here on 101.3 KPCG. If you'd like to uh, send us an uh, email, please send those to comments at kpcg.fm. Appreciate getting those. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter also at KPCGFM. Today is November the 27th, and uh, here's an interesting thing that happened on this day in history. In event 1779, the College of Pennsylvania became the University of Pennsylvania. It was the first legally recognized university in America. The first one back in 1779, and you're thinking to yourself, how many, how many universities and colleges are there now? Well, there's a lot. As of 2005, so I don't know, the numbers might have changed a little bit here, there were uh, 629 public four-year institutions that had an enrollment of 6,837,000. Private four-year institutions, there were 1,845 of those. Enrollment was uh, over 4 million. Public two-year institutions, 1,070. They had over 6 million enrolled. Private two-year institutions, almost 600 with about uh, a little over 300,000 enrolled. All total, that was 4,140 education, higher learning uh, centers. And uh, total enrollment was uh, just about 17.5 million students. So lots of people going to college. Not as many getting degrees, but some certainly. (laughs) And uh, it makes you think also about just the big business of colleges. The Economist reported in June 2014 that the U.S. student loan debt exceeded $1.2 trillion dollars. With over seven million debtors in default, average was a thirty-seven thousand one seventy-two. That's what people owed to go to college. Well, then we have to ask the question: Was all that debt worth it? Was 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 is having many thousands of educational institutions in this country worth it when they're educating tens of millions of people? And in many cases, as we have covered as well, just brainwashing those those kids, especially when twelve out of thirteen of the professors are on the left. I mean, that's, that's not a balanced, true liberal arts education. They're not teaching students how to think for themselves and it's not even affordable. It's not even close to affordable. Those kids end up spending the rest of their lives paying those things off. Yeah. That's a lot of debt to have to start out with, you know, almost, well, $37,000 on average. And, uh, most people 30, about 40% owe between, oh, oh, up to $10,000 somewhere in there. But then, right, right on their heels, people owe between ten and twenty-five thousand, and then of course there are some that are way, way up there. Uh, very small percentage, 06 percent owe two hundred more than two hundred thousand dollars. So wow. I don't know, I don't know what they did, but <laughs> spent their whole life in school maybe. But uh, so quite a bit owed there. Uh, there's a story today about this: the Trump administration eyes easing student debt protections. 
thousands of students who ran up unpayable debts at for-profit schools, in other words, like ITT Tech, things like that, are anxiously waiting to see if U.S. President Donald Trump's administration does away with anti-fraud protections put in place by his predecessor, Barack Obama. Some 95,000 cases of former students seeking forgiveness of their debt have been put on hold by the Department of Education. Uh, Most of the cases now on hold involve former students at two giant uh, two giants of the for-profit college industry they're all for profits so that's yeah. funny to me but okay <laughs> uh corinthian colleges and itt tech those closed in 2015 and 2016 students claim they were lured into enrolling in training programs by the promises of jobs and diplomas that later proved worthless they didn't get much of an education apparently the uh, schools went out of business, and one student said that they were laughed at when they presented their degree from ITT Tech. So what they're saying is, look, we owe all this money. We have this debt. Uh, it was sort of a fraudulent school. Can we just not have the debt anymore? And that's what they're trying to determine. Yeah, and I, I can understand where the uh, maybe the anger would come from there, but at the same time, no one forced them to get that debt. No one forced them to go to that school it must be a horrible feeling to present your diploma like that and and get laughed at, but it's no one else's choice but their own to get into something like that. It seems like, from what I could uh, read about it, that some of these schools, you know, they were fairly, uh, uh, they were predators in the sense of, you know, going, I've, I've seen ads for ITT Tech over the years, and they make it seem pretty good, and you can see where people would get caught up in it, but I think here's the point probably to consider. If you have to go in debt, to do it is it worth doing it uh there might be a case where it is but it's just an interesting point the whole reason that they want the debt forgiveness is that um they have debt so uh if they had the money to actually go to the school in the first place now it would be a bad situation because you'd you'd still have this worthless degree but i think the bigger issue is that people are just willing so willing and so and and tricked in some cases into just taking on all kinds of debt, thinking, well, I'll pay it back later. And that's kind of where we are as a country. But uh, when is later going to come? Are we ever going to pay these debts back? Yeah, that was my first thought as well. Separate from separate the debt from the actual fraudulent education that they might have received. Is it a good idea to even go into debt for anything? I mean, hardly anything. If It may be a, a mortgage on your house if you know that you have a steady income and can pay it back. But to... to saddle yourself with debt for a college education we have seen over and over again that that is a pretty bad idea look at all the people graduating college now from legitimate institutions uh, that they supposedly that they went into huge debt to accrue a degree from and yet they're not getting anywhere near the level of job that they supposedly train for they're having to settle for entry-level positions at different places or they're just not accepting any jobs at all so a lot of these different places are not necessarily living up to what they have promised their students. The The problem is the students have still chosen to go into debt for these things that don't work. And really, I mean, the if the argument is, well, these were fraudulent institutions, I mean, you could say that about a lot of schools that are still for in sure. business. Yeah, you could. I mean, what if you go in as a freshman and... You know that you go to the guidance counselor and uh, and they they say, well, we think it'd be good for you to you know maybe maybe go in this direction or this might be a good career, and you believe them, and you take the courses, and then it turns out it didn't work. Can you come back and say it was fraud? I mean, you know, what I mean, like it gets a little bit interesting there. And I know from going to college. 
that when you come in as a freshman and they, they'll give you your welcome packet, here you go, you know, welcome to college, and you've got some items in there ranging from deodorant to other things. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, and here's how much money you can get. I mean, and they'll hand it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're not literally handing you bags of cash, but it's almost that. And so uh, it's so easy. When you're 18 years old, just say, yeah, yeah, I'll take all that money that I don't have to work. And I can just focus on school. It's easy to think that. And then four years later or whenever, oh, man, I owe $40,000. <laughs> and then there you are. The, the regret always does set in for decisions like that. And I've made some mistakes like that, too, where I'm irritated. But I would not blame the person who sold me or convinced me to make that decision because at the end of the day, I still made the decision myself and I have to take responsibility for it and dig out of it. And that's, you know, that's something that maybe has changed in society where a lot of people try to say, look, it wasn't your fault. Uh, fight, fight the IRS. If they try to get you for not paying your taxes, try, try to, uh, sue a, a university. If you can't pay off your debt, that's what we're seeing as the supposed solution now instead of avoiding those mistakes in the first place. Yeah, it's better just to stay out of debt if you can and then you stay out of the whole bad situation. And it is a bad situation. So a lot of universities, a lot of colleges and different institutions here in the United States. And, of course, we're broadcasting to you from the campus of Herbert W. Armstrong College where if students uh, do their part, and most do, you can leave with no debt. And there's, it's a good, it's a good program. And the reason it's that way is because that's a biblical uh, principle to try to stay out of debt. And uh, of course, if you listen to the the programs here on KPCG, uh, we talk about uh, the Bible. Ultimately, that's what we get back to if we're looking at different events. And so that raises a question: Okay, uh, can you believe the Bible? What, where do you get your, where does the Bible get its authority? So we're going to take a look at that uh, throughout this week. Great reprint article at thetrumpet.com: The Authority of the Bible. If a person's a thinking person, that's a good question to ask because you want to prove out where the authority comes from. And uh, so you can get this uh, reprint for free at thetrumpet.com. It's a great one. It's quite a bit in there. We're going to go through it uh, this week. It says, can you prove that the Bible speaks with divine authority? And if so, why is it the most misunderstood book in all history? And what keys can we use to unlock its meaning? This lesson will enrich your study of the greatest of all books. And as it points out, the Bible is the world's most popular book. If you look at the numbers, 2.5 billion copies have been sold, and it's been fully translated into 300 languages, in parts into up to 2,000 languages. I didn't even know there were that many languages. (laughs) I thought there was like five. (laughs) So I don't know a whole lot about languages. The Bible's popular. I think probably everybody has one. And now you probably, if you if you like it <laughs> somewhat, you probably have one on your phone and you have one, you know, a physical copy and all kinds of different copies of it. You go to any bookstore, you see all kinds. And yet people don't really look at the Bible in terms of being an authority in their lives. And that is pretty disappointing, too, because there are so many incredible stories of people who simply just try to live by every word of the Bible. Anytime they learn something new from the Bible, they're trying to immediately apply it in their lives. And it works. I mean, you mentioned the students who go here and graduate debt-free. Well, they've received so much uh, real-life biblical instruction here that whenever they go out into the workforce, you have employers begging them to to refer them to other students who have graduated from the same place. A lot of these employers hire a lot of Armstrong College students, and that's because they've received training from the Bible. They've been shown how to apply it. They've been taught how to think for themselves and to simply obey the Word of God instead of trying to do it your own way. And that brings up a great 
point and, and really some, some good questions we could ask. Well, what, what do you find in the Bible? What's, what could you expect to find in there? And here are some of the things you can find. Uh, the secrets of human life, how we got here, why we were born and where we are headed. Those are big questions. What lies ahead for mankind? Are we going to have a, a nuclear annihilation or uh, are there better, better times ahead? That's a question, and it's a great one, and the Bible answers it. Many people don't understand the Bible, or they doubt it, or a combination usually. Don't really understand it. They doubt it. They've heard negative things about it. And uh, there's a lot of writings out there that profess to be the authority. You you can look at any bookstore, uh, even in the religious world. What's right? Is the Quran right? Is the the Bible right? What's right? And so those are good questions to ask, and you can uh, answer it here with this reprint article as we talk about. But but, uh, again, you know, how much money would you spend to know about uh, the secrets of human life? There's a lot of de- debate, a lot of question, a lot of mystery. Um, would, if somebody came and said, I've got the answer and you believe them, what would you pay him? <laughs> would you go $40,000 in debt to find out? Or you, you could read the Bible and find out. That type of answer would truly change everything if, if we cared to uh, make changes or apply that type of instruction in our lives. And... And like you said, people always are asking that question. They're turning to all different types of sources, mysticism, even even like uh, devil worship, all, all kinds of pagan or heathen practices. And yet when you tell someone, no, those answers are all in the Bible, that's when people start to scoff. Isn't that, isn't that incredible that the hostility seems to, to be toward the Bible instead of all of these other clearly strange and outlandish sources? Yeah, and I think... You know, what's popular now among some people, maybe the younger generation, is to say uh, that they're spiritual but not religious. And uh, whether whether people say that or they've got some other, you know, belief that's not that's outside of the truth of the Bible, I think it really comes down to the fact that the Bible tells you what to do, though. <laughs> <laughs> and if a person says, well, I'm, I'm spiritual but I'm not religious, then they can they can kind of feel good about themselves, but at the same time, they don't want anybody telling them what to do. <laughs> yeah, the Bible's going to give you some things that you need to do that everybody needs to do. Nobody's above that. And so I think that's where sort of the the uh, the, the um, hostility comes from is people just don't want to be told what to do. Right, exactly. And when people say they are spiritual, what spirit is it? There are good spirits. There are evil spirits. If you're not taking any instruction from God and not obeying him in any way and you're just opening your mind to anything, obviously it's going to be evil spirits that fill that void. Uh, So that's an extremely dangerous way of trying to uh, connect with the spiritual realm just by opening your mind and not having a specific plan to follow. Yeah, for sure. And uh, the the Bible is uh, full of revealed knowledge. That's what's special about it. Uh, Revealed knowledge that man cannot come to know using his five senses. And that's that's why, of course, there's always a the great question of there's a lot of advancement in technology and so forth, yet we can't solve the evils that we see. Well, you know, because on one hand, it's physical knowledge, you know, how to make a computer, how to make a smartphone, how to build a highway. But how do you get people to not hate one another? How do you get people to not lust? How do you, how do you get people to tell the truth? Those are spiritual matters, and there's not a physical answer to that and so the bible gives those spiritual answers it doesn't give every you know uh answer out there as far as things we could understand physically or figure out on our own but things that we can't figure out on our own that's what's in the bible mr armstrong herbert w armstrong called it the maker's instruction manual 
because it provides instructions on how the human creation is to operate, which is a great a great uh, uh, word picture there because, you know, we get anything. There's a manual with it. You know, how does this refrigerator work? <laughs> how does whatever work? You get a manual. How does man work? The Bible is the manual for how humans work. And that's the big question uh, that a lot of people ask. How do we achieve peace amongst ourselves and, and live in a, a way that, everyone can be happy with instead of all of us getting angry at each other and getting into fights and trying to rip each other off. Uh, people always wonder how that works. Uh, but there is a book that tells you how interpersonal relations work, uh, instead of approaching the cause of our conflicts and trying to go from there. Uh, what we do instead of that, uh, in, in this world is we just, I guess, wait until people commit a crime and then we create a new law for it. And we say, look, the here's this rule book of hundreds of thousands of laws. Uh, no police officer is going to know how to enforce all of them. Uh, it's very different from the Ten Commandments, isn't it, where the Bible tells you ten things. Don't do these ten, ten things or do these ten things, and you'll be happy. That's all it takes. Uh, we, we don't look to the source, so instead we're writing all these different laws for how to, how we should conduct our lives. Right. The The Bible reveals the cause of all the world evils. And um, we must recognize that the Holy Bible is radically different from all other so-called sacred literature. It asserts, and this, you know, this is the big assertion here, the Bible asserts that it is the divinely inspired writings of a supreme deity. And uh, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, you can see where that's said. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. And this is God speaking. He says, and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So, you know, that's uh, you have to have some power to back that up. That That's <laughs> what the Bible says. That's what God claims uh, in his word. And uh, people are quick to kind of push that aside or maybe not even know that scripture is in there. But uh, what about it? Is that right? Can we prove it out? Uh, people should be interested in proving it. Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier people wondering whether they should turn to the Bible, to the Koran, or some other source. Only one source, like this says, only one source claims that it comes directly from God. Uh, people ask, well, how can we know which book God would use? Well, only one book even claims to be God's instruction manual. The Koran never makes a claim like that. So obviously, if you're searching for the truth, the Bible would be the first one because it makes such an outlandish claim, a claim that most people would think is outrageous. That's the type of book that you need to prove first. Yeah, it's worth proving and looking at. It's also very interesting to, to think about how many authors were inspired in putting the Bible together. It's not just one person that sat down. Over 40 different writers from many different walks of life. Some of them were kings, King David and others. Um, some were shepherds, military leaders, philosophers, farmers, and fishermen. All these different people over a period of 1,600 years contributed to the Bible. And, of course, they were inspired uh, in what they wrote. And there are no contradictions in the Bible. Christ said in John 10:35 that the Scripture cannot be broken. And uh, in the original text, in spite of what ignorant critics might counter. So, of course, you have to look at the translations and make sure that you, you uh, are, are looking at close to the original as you can. But uh, there are no contradictions there. And some people think there are, and they might bring up some, but those can be disproved. So I, it'd be interesting, you know, if, if people have a real strong opinion on the Bible, 
and if to ask them, well, do you know what the contradictions are that people claim, and can you prove it right or wrong? I imagine most people wouldn't even have an idea of that argument one way or the other, but still have a pretty strong opinion about the Bible. And so, uh, for all of us, I mean, we uh, we are really being put to the test. You're like, okay, well, we prove this out and see if this is right. It's another huge claim, isn't it, that despite the fact that 40 different writers from different backgrounds over the course of a huge period of time, 1,600 years, uh, they they wrote this book over that amount of time, yet there are no contradictions. Again, like God saying, I'm the only God, there is none else, and this is my book, this is another claim that needs to be proven. And a lot of people, because they don't want to prove the Bible true— seek to prove it untrue, right? That's why they even come up with supposed contradictions in the first place. If your mind is absolutely closed to a certain topic or subject, you're never going to prove it right. It does take a right mindset as well to to show that there are no contradictions. Yeah, it's amazing how people will really strive, in some cases, to find a contradiction in the Bible, which you can't find. But yet, when contradictions show up all the time in in whatever is the popular thought of the day, whether it's uh, climate science, <laughs> uh, evolution, any of those things, those are quickly dismissed. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's you know, don't don't look at those. <laughs> so again, you can see if the mind's closed to one thing but really wants to accept something else, it's we can do a whole lot of things with the human mind that uh, uh, you know just just deceive ourselves one way or the other instead of looking to the absolute truth of a matter. Yeah, and we should all want to know the truth and and not be purposely deceiving ourselves. Uh, There's no real free way to live life unless uh, you understand how to live it the right way and you know uh, what the right values to live by are. People, uh, so many people just don't have that. And and it's, it's obviously a very confusing, frustrating way to live. And that's why you see so many of the problems in this world. If, if people found the right source of knowledge and they stuck to that, through the good times and the bad times, what a change that would make in everybody's lives. Yeah, and, and Christ really puts forth, uh, it's a really interesting challenge here in John ten thirty five, where he just says a scripture cannot be broken. So in other words, if the Bible says something and, and it says, if you do such and such, here will be the result, you can prove that out in your own life uh, on the positive side, hopefully, but the negative side will prove out as well. So it's an interesting challenge that everybody can take personally. Prove it out. You know, if if you if you uh, uh, stay out of debt, as the Bible says, will you be better off? Will you be free? <laughs> or, you know, the Bible says if you go into debt, you'll be enslaved. So, which one is it? Talk to the people that have the the massive debts out there. Um, is that freedom? Is it enslavement? Why is the bookshelf at the bookstore full of how to you know manage your finances and get out of debt books? Because people want to be free. That's just one small example, but that's an interesting challenge just to think about personally. Christ said the scripture can't be broken, and that means one way or the other, whether we want to believe it or not, if we're if we're living by it, we'll have the results of living by it. If we break it, we're going to have the results of breaking it, and we have all of human history to prove that out. Yeah, and we can try as hard as we want to, but we'll never be able to achieve lasting happiness apart from what the Bible tells us to do. If we don't do what it says. Uh, For example, King Solomon wrote in the Bible about how he took to himself 
wives and concubines. He built all ki- types of palaces. He, he raised up the most beautiful gardens to walk through, and he accumulated all the riches in the world, and yet he looked back on it all years later and saw that it was all worthless. He still had a void in his life that needed to be filled. He tried as hard as he could to live a life separate from God, and yet at the end of it all, he said it was all just vanity. Yeah, and and lived a whole life and experienced all those things that many people wouldn't and think, boy, life would just be perfect if I just won the lottery or if I just had this or that or the other. And he, he had it all and, and showed uh, through his experience that it wasn't worth much um, at the end of the day or anything, in fact, without God's word. So we're going to take a look uh, coming up on uh, this week, seven keys to understanding the Bible. We'll get into that uh, uh, next time. A lot of great information there and uh, something that's valuable to all of us. That is all the time we have for today here on uh, Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us on this Monday. Make sure you listen for the Key of David program and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show on the way. Uh, For myself, Dwight Falk and Grant Turgeon, have a great rest of your Monday, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.